Well, this morning I simply want to ask the question, have you ever been forgotten? I know in my family, if you weren't where you were supposed to be, when you were supposed to be there, at the time you were supposed to be there, you might get left. It's a little different than being forgotten, but the experience is similar. Have you ever had that experience? My parents would come to church oftentimes in two cars. Dad would go extra early and mom would come along later with us kids. And so after church, it often would exist that somebody would think that they were with the other parent and maybe that happened to you at one point in time. Have we forgot our children? I don't believe we have yet. Yet. As long as you're where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. I was talking to my brother just this week about a time that he recalls when someone was forgotten. They were on an orchestra trip from Southern Adventist University. They were driving down on their annual tour through Florida. And as they came through on 75 into Florida, they stopped at the, what is it called, Welcome Center. And while they're pulled in there at the Welcome Center, everybody gets off and takes their turn in the restroom and does whatever they need to do. And then they board back on the bus and they think that everyone is back on the bus. And they proceed to pull out. And away they go. Continuing down to Florida, the destination for that day was FLA, which stands for Forest Lake Academy. And so it wasn't until they were at FLA and they were unpacking their things that they started to put two and two together. We're missing somebody. Where's John? Sure enough, John Foster was his name. He played the trumpet. And in the orchestra, you only have three trumpeters. So each one is critically important. And John Foster got left way up there at the Welcome Center when he was supposed to be down here at Forest Lake Academy. Well, this is in the late 90s. Maybe there was a few cell phones, but it wasn't a prominent thing, certainly not for college students. And so he was there left wondering, well, the bus is obviously not here. I'm obviously not on it. What to do now? I imagine he said a few prayers. I don't know. And lo and behold, who should show up at that very same welcome center but another... I don't know if it was a van or another bus. Some 30 years have gone by. But another Adventist Academy pulled up to that same rest stop. And they just happened to be heading south. Otherwise, they'd be on the other side of the interstate, right? And he explained himself and who he was with and where he was supposed to be. And they were able to somehow get in contact. I don't know if they used a payphone or what with somebody there at FLA. And they said, we have John. We're bringing him down. Of course, they couldn't contact the bus because they were en route. But when they got there, they, somebody came and found the, the group from Southern Adventist University. And they said, don't worry. John is on his way. To which everyone said, whew. Can you imagine being in charge on that trip? We had a good trip. We only lost one. (laughs) Have you ever been forgotten? And what does it feel like in those moments? They didn't miss me? They went all that way and nobody asked about me? And maybe you've been forgotten in the way that you see, I don't know what his experience was, but you see the car pulling away. 
And maybe you're running after the car, you're waving your hands. My wife did this to me just the other day, as I recall. I was trying to get her attention. She's backing out of the driveway. There's something I want to tell her. And I run, and she stops for just a minute. And so I slow down to walk up to the car. And then she proceeds to back up again. And I have to start running again. And I say, no, 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 wait. And she said, oh, I know, just kidding. (laughs) To be forgotten. We've been studying the days of Elijah in this series, and today's piece I've entitled, When the Brook Dries Up. There's a lot of fascinating parallels between the days of Elijah and the days in which we are living now. And on this piece, we're not really looking at those parallels. We will get to those parallels. But I'm always fascinated at the individuals in, whether it's modern history or current history or back in Bible times, Not just the great things that these men did by God's grace, but the things that were part of who that man was in his upbringing. Part of the challenges they had along the way. Part of the things that made the man. And so that's really the part that we're going to be looking at today when the brook dries up. And so, as a a way of review, I put this genealogy on the screen last time. I'm not going to go over all of it again. But it's sad to me that in the course of just 100 years, that's a long time, but it's really not a long time. In just 100 years, the monarchy went from its height to Solomon and all the splendor of the, the kingdom and all these kings and queens coming to sit at his feet to learn from Solomon. And just a hundred years later, we find ourselves where we are in this story with wicked King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and things have deteriorated worse and worse and worse and worse. And last time we went over how this king was worse than any king before him until there was this king, which was worse than any king before him until, and it just down, down, down it goes. 1 Kings 13, 33 says, Jeroboam made priests of the high places from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of these high places. Just grabbing whoever he thought. And all the immoral acts that went with this Baal worship. And we talked about that some last time. And in just the course of a hundred years, I found myself thinking, How long has our church been around? Have we lost some of our fervor? Here's the patience of the saints. But could it be that we have lost some of our identity? We're told in Prophets and Kings, this seductive form of idolatry exerted the baleful influence until well nigh all Israel were following after Baal these degrading pleasures of sensual worship. And then we looked last time as well in James chapter 5, verse 17. We'll probably keep coming back to this because there's several pieces of this verse that I like. But it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Elijah. The man that we often think, he is so far up here. He's an untouchable individual. James reminds us, no, he had a nature like us. 
And he prayed earnestly for the glory of God. He was jealous for the glory of God. In fact, I put that on the screen last time too. Testimonies for the church, volume three, 263. Elijah's faithful soul was grieved. His indignation was aroused and he was jealous for the glory of God. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed that God would do something for his people, for God's people, for this remnant. And God granted his desire. And so let's look. It's only a few verses that we covered. In fact, I think last time we only covered one verse. But we're going to go a few more today. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we'll begin in verse 1 there. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, which really is in the middle of nowhere, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And Spirit of Prophecy helps us understand that he just walked through with sheer confidence through all the guards and through all the pomp and circumstance directly before the king and he surprises everybody and he just says without any introduction as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word that's very bold But I also find interesting, verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherish, which flows into the Jordan. Now that's a piece I would have liked to have known before I went charging in before the CEO or the king or whomever with this bold declaration, I'd like to know my escape plan. But I'm amazed that Elijah doesn't know what the next step will be. He just knows he's going to deliver this message. And then the Lord speaks to him and he says, Okay, good job. Thank you for what you've done. Now hide. And I'll show you where. To which we have to ask the question, Does God ever command us to hide? Does God ever call his disciples to retreat? I found myself thinking about that this week. I remember David in his old age. He wanted to go out and fight, but Adonijah would not let him go. He said, no, 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 you have to stay back. There was a time that Paul wanted to go into a Greek city that wanted to tear him limb from limb, but his friends made him leave and said, Paul, we need you. This is not a time to go in there. They'll tear you apart. I remember when Jesus said to his disciples, if they persecute you in this city, what did he say? Get in their face and preach all the louder? No. Shake the dust off your feet and flee to another city, another place. And here Elijah is fearlessly brave, and now God tells him, good work. Now go and hide, and I'll show you where to go. Hide. Get away. Go undercover. Find a secluded spot and stay there. Rather than find, I'll show you a secluded spot and you will stay there. And continuing on, verse 4, we read, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went. He doesn't question. He doesn't say, are you sure? 
It just says he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherish, which flowed into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Pretty simple plan. You go here, I'll provide for your needs, and just hang out for a while. Now we don't know for sure, but it was thought that this might be a picture of the area where Elijah was. Scholars call this place today Wadi El Yabis, which is about 30 miles east of Samaria. And the word cherish means cut off. And if it wasn't a place exactly like this, it probably looked to a place similar like this, that Elijah was cut off, he was removed, he was isolated, he was protected. And granted, when everybody wants to come find me and do bad things to me, protection is a good thing. And I imagine for the first, I don't know, many days, maybe even weeks, he was very glad for the protection and provision of God. But how much time would have to pass before he'd be thinking, okay, Lord, now what? What do you have in mind now? Where should I go? What should I do? I'm ready. And there's nothing. Now, I like to go hiking on Sabbath afternoons. I like to go find a waterfall. I like to be up on a vista. Sometimes I'll even steal away, just me, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed. I'll take my Bible, my journal, a little camp chair, and I'll just head out into the middle of nowhere. At least I, I try to find the middle of nowhere. It's harder and harder to find that place anymore. And I'll just sit there, and I'll read, and I'll look at nature, I'll write some things down. It just allows me to kind of sort through all of these thoughts that are passing through. But I have to tell you, it doesn't take me too long. Half a day, my stomach starts growling, I'm ready to go back home. I have yet that I can recall gone backpacking by myself. I know people do that. Days at a time. Sometimes weeks at a time. But it usually doesn't take too long. I don't know how long it takes you of being alone. That you're ready to see somebody. To have a conversation with someone. To see somebody to say, how are you doing? Probably hasn't been recently, but have you ever been overseas somewhere? And nobody looks like you, nobody talks like you, and all of a sudden you see somebody that looks familiar. Not because you've seen them before, but because they have an accent like yours. And you run up and you say, hey, where are you from? Oh, the United States. I could tell. Are you from the South? Yes. Are you from Georgia? I'm from North Carolina. And all of a sudden, woo, we're connected. We've never seen each other before, but all of a sudden I'm so interested in them and they're interested in me, and now, oh, we were made for connection, right? It's hard when there's that language barrier or when no one is around and we feel alone and we feel isolated. But here's Elijah, all by his lonesome, and I'm sure he's thankful for the brook. 
I mean, there is a drought, and it's not a small drought. It's a significant drought. What makes the drought significant? Time. More time. More time. And maybe we should look at this drought and how significant it is. Prophets and Kings says, a year passes, 12 months, and yet there is no rain. The earth is parched as if with fire. The scorching heat of the sun destroys what little vegetation has survived. Streams dry up, and lowing herds and bleeding flocks wander hither and thither in distress. Does this sound like a nice picture? Not at all. Once flourishing fields have become like burning desert sands, a desolate waste. And notice this, the groves dedicated to idol worship are leafless. The forest trees, gaunt skeletons of nature, afford no shade. And the air, it's dry and suffocating. Dust storms blind the eyes and nearly stop the breath. Maybe this brings back to your memory sometimes. Yes, here in the South, we've gone through some drought. And by the end of the summer, the hot summer, you're wondering, is there anything out there in the grass to even cut? And your wife assures you, yes, there's a little bit. Please go out. And you feel like you need to put on goggles on your face and a mask on your nose just because of the dust storm that ensues. And you come in thinking you got a suntan when really you just got a dust tan. Have you ever, any guys ever gone through that experience before? And you find yourself thinking, is it ever going to rain? Please. And you just want that little cloud and it's going over there. But a year of this. And that creek that never goes dry, goes dry. And that well that never runs out is not functioning anymore. And it quickly goes from bad to worse and worse to deadly. Once prosperous cities and villages have become places of mourning, hunger and thirst are telling upon man and beast with mournful mortality. Famine, with all its horror, comes closer and still closer. Yet notwithstanding these evidences of God's power, Israel repented not. What's the point of the drought? Wake up. Remember the Baal God? He's in charge of fertility and he's in charge of rain. And now nothing in either of those categories is going well. The livestock are not reproducing and certainly there's no rain. And so the idea is to get their attention but it doesn't seem to get anyone's attention. They repented not, nor learned the lesson that God would have them learn. Sometimes I think of COVID. Could it be that that's a way and a mechanism and a means that God is wanting to get his kids' attention? But maybe we're unmoved says in the second year of famine still the heavens gave no sign of rain drought and famine continued their own devastation throughout the kingdom fathers and mothers powerless to relieve the suffering of their children were forced to see them die 
This is not a dust bowl front yard situation anymore. This is getting serious. But even in the midst of that, it says, proud hearted, enamored by their false worship, they were unwilling to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, and they began to cast about for some other cause to which to attribute their sufferings. Certainly it's not me. Certainly we haven't done anything wrong. And we see this in the Bible account as well. It says Jezebel massacred the prophets. It tells us this later, what was taking place. But it says Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. Certainly I'm not the problem. It's these troublers of Israel, specifically this troubler of Israel. And so yes, I'm sure in the midst, and how long Elijah was there in that valley, in that ravine with that creek, we don't know. And I'm sure he was thankful in the midst of that intense hatred for the prophets of God to have that little safe haven, to be removed from it all. And I'm sure he was thankful for the bread and the meat twice a day and to drink from the brook. But how long? What's next? But he stays in isolation for days, weeks, months. And we're not told. We know the famine lasted for three and a half years. As we read earlier this morning, Spirit of Prophecy tells us he was there in that ravine for many months. So how long is many months? Is that five months, nine months, 12 months? We don't know. And so yes, his needs are being provided for, but what must Elijah be thinking? What would you have been thinking to go from the public forum proclaiming a bold message to fleeing and hiding literally? And that is what God called him to do. That was the next step, to flee and to hide. In King James, it literally says, hide thyself. He could have easily been thinking, I thought I was a prophet called to preach. Perhaps he's a doer, he is proactive. That's why he started praying in the first place. He's a fixer. He has gifts. He has talents. They're not waking up. Let me go talk to them again. And he says, no, you just stay here and hide yourself. Has God ever sent you into hiding? You were active for him. You were getting things done. By God's grace, you were effective. You were using your gifts and your talents. But then in one stroke, God says, hide yourself. It's time for you to get alone. Get away from those things that satisfy human pride and ego and go and live by the brook. How long? I'll let you know. And what may have caused the change for you? Was it sickness? Maybe it was burnout? Maybe you were simply laid off. Maybe that ministry opportunity just simply closed. And now you just feel like you're simply hiding by a brook. And yes, God's providing for your needs, but is this where you can best serve the Lord? Just hiding? Alone? To which at times? I believe the answer is yes. And it can be humbling as people ask, what are you doing these days? 
Well, that's a good question. It seems I'm just waiting to see what God has in store for me next. In the meantime, I'm simply living on the provisions of God. Okay, I mean, that's a fine answer. But really, what are you doing? No, no, really, that's what I'm doing. No, how are you surviving? No, that's how I'm surviving. What's coming down the pike tomorrow? I literally don't know. How are you going to feed yourself and your family tomorrow? I don't know. That can be hard. So much of your identity and my identity is wrapped up in what we do, and then all of a sudden, we stop doing. We say, okay, Lord, what's your plan? What's your purpose for me? And oftentimes, the response is just quiet, stillness, solitude. Hide yourself. One Bible teacher from long ago, I'm not familiar with him, and so I don't read any of his works. I know he was a Calvinist, but he was just, in one of the commentaries I was reading this week, I'm not necessarily promoting him, because I don't know much about him, but I like the quote that was in this commentary I read, and it says this, Alas, how little is man to be trusted. How little is he able to bear being put into the place of honor. How quickly self rises to the surface. And the instrument is ready to believe he is something more than an instrument. Could that have been Elijah's experience? I don't know. Could that be your experience? I don't know. Could that be my experience? That God is saying, for a time, I want you out of the spotlight. I want you up in the mountains to be alone. But I'm thankful that in our story, we don't see a moment's hesitation. He doesn't ask why. We don't see all kinds of lamenting. Elijah simply obeys and waits. And waiting can be hard. I believe that's why God tells us Here is the patience of the saints. As a teacher in Ponape, my students would say, I hate wait. It's a phrase of theirs. But here Elijah, whether in the palace or in the quiet isolation, Elijah was ready to serve his Lord, to simply be an instrument, to be played or to be put down. However, the master musician indicated And as the ravens brought Elijah food twice a day, he learned more fully what it meant to trust God one day at a time. Hour by hour, moment by moment. And you might say, one day at a time. I know that song. I've heard that phrase a million times. That's a throwaway phrase. I suppose it's a throwaway phrase until you've actually not just heard it, but lived it. And some of you here know what I'm talking about. Because physically, yes, we are stuck in the here and now, but mentally we're in the past, we're in the present, we're in the future. And we see here in Elijah's story that he has learned to trust God and he's just gonna take it one day at a time. One day at a time. Just like I'm gonna go deliver this message. What are you gonna do next? I don't know, I'll see what the Lord tells me to do then. And sure enough, the Lord speaks up and he says, go here, okay, okay. 
How long are you going to be there? I don't know. I'm going to wait for the Lord to speak up. And then he's going to speak up in just a minute. We're going to read it and he's going to go. But I imagine in between those verses, there's this period of waiting for months. And we just glaze right over in our quick read. And we don't realize that we too know what that feels like to wait and wait and wait. Wondering what God is up to. And what's going to be his plan. I like this quote from Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. It's on page 111. Like the child, you shall receive day by day what is required for the day's need. Have you noticed kids don't stress about tomorrow near as much as you do? In fact, as a parent, you get frustrated with that sometimes. You just always expect there's going to be lunch. I'm the one that has to worry about where it's going to come from. No, no, no. Like the child, you shall receive day by day what's required for the day's need. Every day you are to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Be not dismayed if you have not sufficient for tomorrow. You have the assurance of his promise. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Psalm 37, verse 3. David says, quoting more scripture, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God takes care of his children. Continuing that God who sent the ravens to feed Elijah by the brook Cherith will not pass by one of his faithful, self-sacrificing children. Of him that walketh righteously, it is written, bread shall be given him, his water shall be sure. Isaiah 33, 16. You can claim that verse today. Another verse, Psalm 37, 19. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. And then she quotes one more verse, Romans 8, 32. He that spareth not his own son, but delivereth him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And friends, God didn't just provide then. He provides now. And he will provide through to the end. In fact, you may remember just a few months back in that final event series, when we were speaking of God's deliverance, I put this quotation up on the screen from early writings. It says, The Lord has shown me repeatedly that it is contrary to the Bible to make any provision for our temporal wants in the time of trouble. I saw that if the saints had food laid up for them, or in the field in, in the time of trouble when sword, famine, and pestilence are in the land, it would be taken from them by violent hands and strangers would reap their fields. Then will be the time for us to trust wholly in God and he will sustain us. I saw that our bread and water will be sure at that time and that we shall not lack or suffer hunger for God is able to spread a table for us in the wilderness. And we see that right here in this story, don't we? If necessary, he would send ravens to feed us as he did to feed Elijah or rain manna from heaven as he did the Israelites. Friends, will God provide for his children? The answer is yes. Physically, yes. Spiritually, yes. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the living water in John 4. 
And so the promise given in Isaiah is for us, even in times of solitude, of drought, of famine, or persecution, even in our times of trouble, the promise is given, right? Your bread will be given him, his water will be sure. How is it that God can see every sparrow that falls? Yet we think he has no mind for me. And then verse 7 of our story, back to Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Has your brook ever dried up? You were trusting in God. He was providing for your needs. But then things seemed to get tighter and tighter. And bills started piling up. Your support group took jobs other places. Or maybe it's your job that moved you away from your church family and their support. Maybe your partner and life has grown indifferent and has recently asked for a divorce of all things. Perhaps your flourishing ministry seems to be drying up. Whatever it is, you see the brook drying up. And in those moments, in your human nature, it's all too easy to doubt God. Where are you? God is getting smaller this creek. It's just a dribble anymore. There's just a few drops. I don't know if there'll be anything tomorrow. Have you forgotten about me? Have you abandoned me? Have you ever felt that way? I imagine we all have at one time or another. Our human feelings tell us once our Heavenly Father gives water, He should never take it away. It just wouldn't be fair. Once God gives me a mate, he should never take my mate away. Once God gives me a child, he should never take that child away. Once he gives me a good business, he, should, he has no right to take that business away. And once he provides a good pastor, he must never call him elsewhere. Once he has grown this ministry to its zenith, if you will, he has no right to step in and say, no, I'm not going to grow it any larger. And when we hit a tough spot, our tendency is to feel abandoned and perhaps at times even become resentful. God, how could you forget me? Where are you? But I want to propose to each of us this morning that in those moments, the very opposite is true. That rather in those moments, we are more than perhaps ever before the object of God's concern. Because no matter what's going on in your life, I can assure you of two things. God is still alive and well, and he knows what he's doing. See, we have the advantage here. We can keep reading the story. Elijah didn't have that advantage. It was just a day at a time. We can see the big plans that are coming down the pike for Elijah. He doesn't see that either. I did this thing and then I ran and I hid and this is all in my reputation at this point. But no, God is still alive and well and he knows what 
he's doing. Turn with me to Isaiah. I want you to see this in your own Bibles. Isaiah 49, verses 14 to 16. And it says, but Zion said, who's Zion? We just looked at that a few weeks ago too. It's the people of God. It's another word for Jerusalem. It's another word for the remnant. And so it's God's people that say, say, the Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And the response comes, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Huh, not likely. Maybe you've heard some random bizarre stories, but it's far from being what you typically see. But surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Circle it, underline it, put a star next to it. God will not forget you. And then verse 16, see I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Friends, God says in the midst of, of our dried up brook. You're written on the palm of my hands. You're continually before me. Every time I look at my hands, I see you. I see your situation. I know what you're going through. No, I haven't forgotten you. I'll never forget you. Did you know that John Bunyan was thrown in prison? for holding religious services outside the established church of England. And so that was enough. Put him behind bars, leave him there. Hoping to effectively banish him and his influence, make an example out of him. We don't do this. But did you know that when John Bunyan was in that prison cell, it was there that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress? a work that has never been out of print since it was first published in 1678. I imagine he could have said, Lord, my brook has dried up. My ministry is no more. I'm stuck here in this dungeon. To which I imagine God says, I know. I haven't forgotten you. I'm still in control. Trust me. I have a work for you to do. Friends, not one fleeting moment of life goes by without his knowing exactly where we are, what we're doing, and how we are feeling. God doesn't forget about us. He never abandons us. Rather, we are inscribed on the palms of his hands. And you might be saying, but it hurts. As you think of easier times when you drank from the brook freely and now you feel so displaced. But in those moments, as we see here in this story, God does not take his eye off his children. He knows right where you are. He knows your needs. He's not forgotten about you. And he's using this challenging time to grow you. And I believe in those times when the brook has dried up, he's asking the very simple question, will you trust me through this? That's the same question he asked Abraham when he asked him to sacrifice his son. Will you trust me through this? 
It's the same question he asked Paul in the midst of that first successful ministry journey. And then he's stoned at Lystra and left for dead outside of the city. Will you trust me, Paul, through this? It's a question he asked Joseph when he was thrown into that Egyptian dungeon after being falsely accused. Joseph, will you trust me through this? And even Jesus, the sinless son of God, had to pass through the anguish of Gethsemane. But said, not my will, yours be done. I will trust you, Father, through this. And so for you and me today in 2021, I want to encourage you. Just because it appears from a human perspective that your brook has dried up. Do not assume for a second that it's because God is displeased. Not at all. But rather he is building and growing and expanding and stretching our faith and trust in him, perhaps because he has big plans for us in the verses and chapters of our lives to follow. And the story of Elijah we see that God has a plan as well, that he will continue to provide for his needs in some of the most unheard of places. In fact, we can read that verse right now if you still have it open. And this is where we're going to focus next time. But in verse 8, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, First, the brook dries up. He's left to wonder. And finally, what's the phrase? The Lord is rarely early, but he's always right on time. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath. We'll look next time. Zarephath, that's like the seat of Baal worship. That's where Jezebel is from. And God says, I'm going to provide for you even in that heathen, most wicked place on the planet. Go there. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but it says, And he arose and went. If I was in this story, I would have said, Are you sure, God? Do you know where that is? Do you know who lives there? There's provision there? What if I just dig a hole? There's got to be water just a few feet down. No, he arose, and he went. And oftentimes, it's in these moments of solitude and quiet that God teaches us those very humbling lessons of he must increase and I must decrease. That I don't need to fear loss, but rather trust him day by day and learn to walk not by sight, but by faith. In these times of difficulty, God wants to purge me of my resentment and my anger, my feelings of entitlement, my rights, if you will, of the kind of job that I believe I should have or the salary I should be getting or the comforts I deserve. He wants to purge me of my deep-seated habits, my often unrealistic expectations, my success-oriented motives, and replace it with forgiveness, with humility, 
with God's inner working to make me the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that he wants me to be. And all the while, in the midst of that dried up brook, when you feel stretched, God wants us to know, I haven't forgotten you. I've not abandoned you. I'm not displeased with you. You're written on the palms of my hands. You're continually and ever before me. And so I don't know what that looks like for you today. I don't know what your situation may be. But will you trust God through it? Because our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us for which we know nothing. And that will be a running theme throughout the rest of this story. God will keep asking of Elijah, will you trust me through this, Elijah? And God continually is providing for his needs. And as I mentioned, there's also big parallels between his time and our time, and we'll delve into that. But at the core of so much of what we talk about and what we preach and what we teach, if I haven't learned to trust Jesus through this, how will I ever trust him through that? It's foundational. And if by faith we can say, perhaps even with a trembling voice, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's all he needs. As we embark on the ride of our lives, will you trust him today? That's the question. He hasn't forgotten you. No, he's not forgotten you. And in fact, he says, I will never forget you. Why? You're inscribed on the palm of my hands, he says. So just hang in there. Take it a day at a time. And if God has led you to what feels like the middle of nowhere, take the opportunity to commune with him more fully and more deeply. To feed on the bread of life and drink deeply from the living water. To hear his still, small voice. And so when the brook dries up, you can say, Lord, I choose to trust you. To continue to trust you. Because I don't know exactly how this ends, but you do. And that's enough for me. And so that's my challenge for you and for me. And by God's grace, may he help us to doubt a whole lot less and to trust a whole lot more. Dear Heavenly Father, in that quiet place, in that quiet hour, may you speak to our hearts as we seek to live for you day by day, moment by moment, with plenty of questions and not always all the answers, but knowing that you haven't forgotten about us, you have not abandoned us, and that you will never leave us, but that we are inscribed upon the palms of your hands that you have a plan. Lord, may we be willing to trust you in this.
today is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.